Why We Bleep is sponsored by Signal Sounds. Oh, I must have dozed off. Oh, I was having a wonderful dream about that James Blake. Was I asleep long? You've been asleep for eight months! Oh, I want you to get a better alarm. And what better way to make alarm sounds than with a modular synthesizer purchased from Signal Sounds? Yes, let's head on over to the website right now and let's see what we can see. Oh, looks like the Phil 4 from FSS is out. Future Sound Systems Crazy Bookler. Mega wave folding filter that makes sounds more complicated than the ones you put in. Look, Mum, no computers. Girl filter has been doing great. The Percons from Erica is finally shipping. The Otis Audio Love Beams. Oh, I think I saw one of those in that My Love Melodies video. Sounds excellent. Excellent. Oh, look at this. Loads of experimental noise synths and mad tape loopers from Era Instruments. Nobody knows what any of this stuff does, but it's great. The last ever shipments of Mutable. Oh end of the line, as well as the Korg Up 2600. Retro Newness, the Torso T1. Marjorie, I'm back. So if you've awoken from an eight-month slumber and want to spend some compound interest, head to signalsounds.com. That's signalsounds.com. Oh, and by the way, if you're in Glasgow, the showroom is open. Why? Yeah, I know it's been ages. I know, I know, no, I know. Uh, we've got to like hang out more. Uh, so, if you hadn't gathered, this isn't my full time job, and for a variety of reasons, everyone's favourite podcast, featuring me undering chats with people connected with electronic music, has had to take a, a bit of a back seat. But don't fret your beautiful face one moment longer, because Marjorie, we're back, and. Today, I am going to share a chat with none other than Caitlin Aurelia Smith. That would be Buckler Practicing Boundaries of Electronic Music Pushing Caitlin Aurelia Smith. She writes amazing music, playful, vibrant and like transcendent music with multi-layered electronic music instrumentation and her voice manipulated and enhanced in a myriad of creative and original ways. But she returns with a new album. This album is called Let's Turn It Into Sound. And in this, she turns the ineffable into sound. It is an incredibly complex and freewheeling record. And I heartily recommend that you give it a go. It's challenging, but it's refreshing. Changes on a sixpence. And it really is like kind of freewheeling imagination turned into sound. I actually didn't ask Caitlin in this interview about her beginnings with synths, and that's because that's just been really like covered by literally 
every other interview that you can read of hers. But I will just sort of relay the backstory here in case you don't know it. And that is that she went to Berkeley, I think Berkeley, Berkeley, Berkeley College of Music um, and studied composition and film sound and... Um, but was not a synthesizer person. It, she was not sort of into synths or had like physical experience of like, you know, hardware synths. And she's from this place in Washington called Orcas Island, which is this like beautiful green space. And apparently when chatting to her neighbor, I assume in Orcas Island, um, about her beloved Terry Riley, her neighbor was like obviously massively into Terry Riley and was like, oh, I've got a room full of Buchla synthesizers. Would you like to borrow some Buchla synthesizers, modulars that I've got. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking about moving to Orcas Island because if these are the neighbours, then sign me up and borrow she did. And this began like a love affair with the Buchla synthesizer and synthesizers in general and a deepening sort of, you know, hands-on experience, truly hands-on as well. I think that's the critical aspect with Caitlin Rayleigh Smith because as you see her perform live and the way she performs and records her music is very much based in physical performance, physical playing. And uh, the Buchla instrument that she's most known for, I think now is the, the music easel. I can't think of a more sort of perfect musician in terms of someone who is, is using that instrument in a way that it was clearly intended to be used. And so we didn't talk about uh, the origins, but we do talk about the Buchla synth. I wanted to ask her about that. And of course, also about the processing of her voice, which is something that is really apparent when you listen to her record. She has like wonderful, like original processing. Um, she obviously uses computers and other synths outboard. And we talk about this too. And we talk about the value of practice. That I think is the most critical of things uh, because she performs her albums live a feat that i think deserves special recognition given how dense and freewheeling we are we can chat more later i think you've waited long enough so without further ado on with the show let's hang out with caitlin aurelia smith thanks Yeah, feeling so excited about it. It it's always a long process. Um, you know, I finished the album about a year and a half ago, and it always takes takes a while for it to like actually get out. At first, when when I got familiar with how long it takes to get albums out, I was I was a little bit impatient about it. Where I was like, oh man, I just want to share it. But now I really have grown to appreciate the the timing between finishing it and and sharing it because then I get to like fully recycle into the like listener state and then I get like a refresher before playing it live where I'm like oh, okay cool I got to to like experience it as a listener now and I'm ready to like go and play it live I have listened to it and I've I've not listened to it enough really because it's so dense. It's super dense. And I was sort of struck by the pace and the the level of like creativity and things that are in there. It's you know, you have tracks that they're like four tracks in the first like four minutes, or they're <laughs> not, but it's just but you know what I mean, they sort of they turn on a sixpence in a way that I've not really I can think of very little other music that 
that I've heard that sort of does that. And I think that's, that's really cool. <laughs> what were you thinking going into this album? Like, what is, what was your goal with it? Yeah, I didn't really have a goal, but I um, had a really strong feeling and it happened so fast. I made the album within like three months. It was like a like exuberance bubble inside me <laughs> where I was like, oh my gosh, I just like feel all this stuff. And, and it just like came out so fast and and it was honestly just like really, really fun. <laughs> mm. It was just like, it felt, it was like one of those creative experiences where I was, I was like really excited to wake up each day to, to work on the next part. And, and I knew it was like a drama. Like I knew it was like theatrical and I kept on calling it my sentimental robot drama <laughs> because it like, I knew it had this like kind of alien feeling to it and like the new vocal processing had like a very like uh, robotic feeling to it, but it was really sentimental. <laughs> it's a drama. Like, can you talk, you know, what does it mean to you basically? Or does that need to be said? I guess it's like, I got really intrigued with the somatic experience of, of life. And, and I was studying somatic therapy for a while and, um, and just fell in love with like how bizarre and wonderful it is that there's like all this information stored in our somatic experience that our conscious mind doesn't really have access to that. Like it just has to come out through, through art, basically through dance, through singing, through like sounds, through like, through something other than, than like our language center, like our word um, aspect of our brain. And that was really intriguing to me. And I mean, at the time that I wrote this, there was just so much, and there still is so much going on in the world, and there always is. And and I really wanted to make something um, that was kind of like a tribute to that helpless feeling of when there's so much happening around you and you don't know what to do. And so it's just like you just want to like throw it up into sound <laughs> or like you want to, you know, it's it's like that sentiment of like, at least I'll, at least I can like make sound at the very least. And so I'll just like turn all these feelings into sound. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, and so are you describing with, I mean, I just don't actually, I don't know enough about the subject, but are you describing like your unconscious, like the sort of the inexpressible or is there something more specific than that? No, it's like the somatic experiences. It's, um, it's like all the information that's stored in your body that's like stored in the sensual aspects of your, your being. Like, it's like, um, it's like when you have those reactions to something where you're like, uh, you know, like it just like, it's not a word. It's just like, ah, uh. <laughs> or, yeah. and some people might say that's frustrated, but then someone might not feel like frustrated describes it. And I think a lot of other languages have more gradients, um, mm. in, you know, like compound nouns, and so this album is really inspired by like the compound energy, like the compound um, language. And, and I feel like a really big inspiration at the time for me was also fashion, like really bold, um, extravagant fashion, like sculptural fashion felt like it mm. was communicating everything I was feeling. And, and so there's like a lot of, of like, 
boldness in I think the sounds because that was like just what wanted to come out at the time. And there's like a lot of hidden sounds within the sounds of like me, like going like, hi, yeah, <laughs> it's really dweeby, but <laughs> right, it's good. Yeah. I don't, now you've said that, like, I definitely get that idea of it was almost listening to it. It's like the sounds are sort of on a catwalk, like processing. And then suddenly someone comes around the corner and it's like, da-da, and it's like wearing the most insane <laughs> thing. And you're just like, what? Yes. I've never seen that before. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, it, it totally does. And it's, it turns fast. It's, I literally actually, I had to check that like some of these tracks were like playing back properly. I don't mean yeah. that in a bad way. I just mean it in like, it's like this has, this is not structured like other music. Uh, and so it is, it's jarring, but it's not in a bad way. Like, I mean, I'm, I think we have to, we all have to be open-minded and it's like, this is how we discover new things. And it's, um, it reminds me of some of that, yeah, the most experimental music that I've heard. But then it's got just such a wonderful kind of playfulness. And I think that's, I think a lot, in a lot of your music, there's been, you know, those elements, like really fast little arpeggios, which, you know, when you put like even tied sparkles on them, they have that kind of, that almost that sense of like a little sort of elfin kind of chattering sound. And there's a lot of, yeah. There's, there's always, it feels, there's always been kind of playfulness in your music. It's sort of, it's quite optimistic a lot of the time. And I think that's, it's a delight to hear because it's, I think a lot of the time electronic music can be quite, quite easy to make somber things. And it's, sometimes it's not cool to be optimistic or playful. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I get a lot of, um, I get a lot of negative comments about the playfulness. So it's nice when people appreciate it because I always have fun with it. So, and I think there's a lot of like, I mean, if you look at just the playfulness of even kids, there's like always really, there's like a vast, um, there's like a variety of emotions in playfulness. Like there's always a lot of fear and anger and all the like, all the things in it. It's never just like, oh, everything's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, human beings are complex. It's yeah. not just, and certainly, I mean, I have a toddler and it's this sort of sense of childlike play. I think that music is supposed to be fun, you know, and I make a lot of, you know, dance music. And I think with that style of music, which is not necessarily what you're making, but it's just, I think that's another one where it's like actually going out and dancing and like dressing up and being with friends is supposed to be a fun, playful event. So it's funny that then dance music gets appropriated by people like wearing all black and being too cool for school. It's, yeah. It's a bit of an, <laughs> it doesn't fit in that sense that the music's not too cool for school. Music's meant to be fun. So Totally. I mean, I love dance music and I love dancing. And in a way, this is like my dance album. This is like a dance album <laughs> in like a, a very like um, – avant-garde dance dance club <laughs> an experimental dance club <laughs> yeah 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 oh definitely but it is yeah and i mean and obviously the video that you released is like it is animated fashion character dancing yeah i realized that it's yeah it's someone wearing like and in this sort of colorful outrageous world that's that's kind of how it sounds personally often don't when i write music i don't approach it from the sense of like meaning which is really naive and sort of rubbish of me and it's sort of what it did make me think is how electronic music is uniquely good for expressing the inexpressible and there's other people who've 
quoted saying similar things where it's like, what's great about electronic music is it helps you, uh, you can create this sense of an emotion that you can't quite name, if that makes sense. Like there's certain feelings when you get, when you hear certain chord sequences that make you feel this kind of, like you were saying, like the compound word, like the, you know, in Germany where in German, where there's like the word that is like three feelings concatenate together. Yeah. I think electronics are particularly good for that. Yeah. I know. I feel like art in general and like, I feel like this album also really brought me back to the, the root of like, oh, right. Art is like, it's not just, it's not just for some people. It's like, it's for everyone. It's like where you express the unexpressible or the, yeah. the ineffable. And, and I remember reading this book. Did you ever read Kandinsky's um, Concerning the Spiritual and Art? No, a failing. <laughs> Not at all. It's a really short book, but it's all about how most artists like go through so much training and then the like follow up to all the training is like to get back to the baby brain where you yeah. can like get back to the flow state and and I'm always like really inspired by by trying to get back to that flow state yeah uh, what's the quote that we're all born princes it's the you know uh, humanizing process that turns us into frogs oh <laughs> uh, something like that yeah which is and like yeah definitely like trying to retain it's always when you first start making music and that first music can be quite naive but it's often quite good in a way that I've, I've had that, like, listening back to old music, and I know other people I've spoken to have said similar things. Like, I listen to my old tracks, and they're kind of rubbish, but they're kind of awesome in a in a way that I'm... And maybe it's just trying to be too cool for school. I don't know if it's just that. It's like, people go, I'm too mature for that sort of thing now. But yeah. actually, the naive, you know, your naive self was kind of onto something. Yeah. So regarding, like, the writing of it, I mean, how... Do you, how do you approach composition in general? Have you do you kind of write as you play live? Like I haven't seen you play this, but I have actually seen you play before, and you know, seen how you were playing ears. I think. Oh, Wasn't cool. It? And but it, I suppose the question is just composition in general. Like, how do you tend to compose, and like, what have you changed over the years? Yeah, it it depends on the project, and it depends on if I know I'm going to play it live. Like for all my albums, for the most part, I know I'm going to play them live. So from the beginning, I set it up so that my recording is thinking of how I'm going to play it live so that it's like a really easy transition. But if I'm not going to play it live, then I just just like have freedom and just like do whatever. And um, and that that's always really exciting because there are a lot of constraints to when you're going to play it live. But um for the most part, I just like the one thing that is always the constant is that at least for my albums, it, it's different when I'm doing a commissioned work, when I'm doing a commissioned work, like I think of it as like, I'm translating for someone. So my excitement is like, it's like, Oh, how can I, how can I like find a way to, to care for like what this person is feeling and turn it into sound. But then for my own albums, it's like, it's like I wait for, a, it's like a, a filling, like I get filled with, 
with information it feels like almost like where it's like all at once I'll I'll get like a I call it like my inner gong where I'm like I get like a ringing where I'm like okay I got it I know what it's going to be and then it's just like how to bring it into um, actualization and so it's not a very technical answer <laughs> but basically it's many words to say I wait till I get inspired <laughs> it sounds like it's based on a feeling and not not a melody or like a phrase or a hook or a word it's like literally a feeling but it's like all of it at once it's like I because I'll feel when I get the feeling it's like I've heard every melody that's going to be in there and like it's like I hear it all at once and so that's why I call it like a filling because it it like feels like I get like filled with a lot of music and I can Mm. like hear it without like I can like hear it inside myself and then I'm like, okay, now is the time. But then there's also times where, where like I'm asked to write something and I don't have that feeling. And so then I usually just, um, I do a lot of like failing exercises to, to get that out of the way where I just make really bad music purposely and, or like what I, what resonates to me is like, I'm going to rephrase that. I make music that I wouldn't comfortably want to share with someone. And, and then usually in that process, I find a beginning point for something. Hmm. You literally deliberately are like, I want to do the wrong thing multiple times. What does it teach you? Like the, what do you learn from that? It kind of, it's like, it feels like I'm feeling into like past my boundaries to find like a new opening And so it, it just takes me, it takes the pressure away of like, of like, oh, if I do this, then, then it's going to be a waste of time because I always do this and this and this. And for me, like inspiration always comes out of novelty. And so like, I'm always trying to learn new things and always trying to keep it new in some way. Um, And I think like the failing exercise helps me get to new places because I'll just, wander for a really long time in some like super uncomfortable area and then I'll find something where I'm like oh that can actually turn into something hmm because the alternative would be to do just the thing you always do isn't it like a quick win here would be the thing I know how to do yeah Um, so it makes complete sense when you say it like that and it's like yeah that's amazing I've met other musicians who like are very consciously not trying to repeat themselves and I'm like, I would be bored if, if I did that. Do you feel that sort of way you, you're always going to try and do something new? Is that essential? I feel like, like the analogy that I guess comes to mind is like, I feel like I have my hands in like 30 different paint bottles, <laughs> paint canisters. And it's just like, how many combinations can I make with these? Because it doesn't feel like I'll never return to something. Um, I'm sure I will. Cause there's definitely times where, where part of the like ingredients to something new is also reaching into something that I maybe did on like an album a few years ago. So it's, it's not like always a progression of like, never go back. It's like, well, you could always return to like an old fork in the road, basically and go, maybe I'll just go the other way. Yeah. See what that. Yeah. I remember asking a teacher when I was a little kid 
because um, I was one of those little kids that wouldn't stop asking questions. <laughs> and I remember asking a teacher what imagination was, and they said, it's just like infinite combinations of things. And so, hmm. and I still return to that where I'm like, I'm like, okay, I'll just like keep combining new things. <laughs> yeah, novel things are often like, yeah, combos of existing things in a novel way. Yeah. I don't know if at this point, can we create anything truly new? I suppose it is always going to sound like mishmashes of things. That's why like mashups are so wonderful. Because it's like two things I never knew could go together. How novel. And then <laughs> entire genres get born. Yeah. And then do you, equipment wise and stuff, did you have an idea of like, you know, I want to surround myself by a certain type, you know, certain things. And what were your, what were you surrounding yourself with? I've kind of always been the type of musician that is like, whatever is around is what I'll use. And I've had a very similar set of tools for, for like the last few, few years. And then occasionally I'll go and do residencies where there are like really big collections of different things that I can like sample and make instruments out of. But for the most part, um, I just used what has been like in my tool set for, for a while now. And it's still a lot of Buchla sounds. And then I have a couple Moog synthesizers and I have like one of those little Oberheim SEM modules and that thing mm. has been really fun to use. And then a lot of it is my voice too, like a lot of recontextualizing my voice. So I'd love to talk about synth, but the, the voice thing is particularly like, you mentioned that it's, well, I think the press release is like, there's a new like vocal processing technique and it would be, I'm really interested to hear like, what is, what is it? What, what did you discover? Yeah, I don't really share it because I'm still using uh, it. Yeah, okay. It's, <laughs> but, just but Can I, you say, uh, you know, at least help me understand the kind of the world of what it does to you? Yeah, yeah. It's just like, it's mostly that I figured out like a new way of, um, of making new resonating bodies for my voice and, um, and just like creating more, more like characters, like where it could sound like a really fluffy giant or like a really yeah. like tiny little creature <laughs> or like a really like low man. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So it was just like playing with that stuff. Okay. I won't pry more. Yeah. I'm curious. <laughs> I know someday when I'm not still using using it, then I'll probably open up about it. But You've used like, I know that it like, certainly on like ears, because I could see those performances, like you were using the H9 and um, I guess like Quadrivox and stuff, which is, you know, like the Eventide, it's a lot of Eventide algorithms that have amazing like pitch shifters and stuff, but... Yeah, I never used those on my voice. Right. I used them on, um, the H9 was just for the easel. Yeah, and for like looping. So then your computer does your voice, basically? No, I mean, I do use Ableton for, um, as my mixer, because I really, I like to like not bring a ton of pedals with me. And so it's yeah. nice to have a lot of effects like in Ableton, which is really nice. But for ears... That one I can talk about because I won't use that technique again because it was so tedious. But I had like a um, a controller basically where I like mapped out all different scents so I could do microtonal harmonies and I could change them and play them like chords as I was playing. 
like which which harmonies were going to play with me. But that wasn't using like a harmonizer. It was like a thing that I had made um, in Ableton. And it was really tedious and I would never do it again. And I wouldn't <laughs> recommend that anyone did it because it took a lot of muscle memory to remember which shape my hand was going to play for which chord I was going to sing with. <laughs> I see. So that it's like almost like a vocoder in the sense that you're playing the sound that you're singing to, or is it just that you play chords and it would it would then match those with your voice? It's not even that sophisticated. It wouldn't even do anything like that. It was just sense, like pitch shifting sense of which ones were on or off of of mm. like to make it microtonal. Yeah, bonkers. And it sounds beautiful. I mean, that, the, a lot of that stuff. And seeing you play it as well, I mean, I just couldn't do that. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'm like, like you know, it, it's like a form of electronic music that I probably thought could only be live on a record. I don't think it, I wouldn't have, I think you've showed me that it could be played in a way that I wasn't, you know, especially things like, even the music easel, which is obviously built for recall. It has like little card slots and stuff. Um, but, you know, I don't think you were using those, at least. I don't remember seeing you. You were kind of just... Yeah, I haven't used that yet, which I I know I'm curious about it. But although I personally just love playing, I've always been like a musician that just loves to play, like keyboards, loves to play guitar. And I love practicing. I'm like a practice-aholic. So mm. there's like something really... Um, I don't know. I love the unfolding of what happens when you practice the same thing every day for a year. It's just like, it's a gift that just like keeps giving because it goes into muscle memory. And, and like the reason why I say it's a gift that keeps giving is because like, I mean, I don't know what everyone's experience is, but at least my own experience with muscle memory is that like, it feels like magic because it goes into this like part of your, your being where you're like, what now I can like think about whatever I want and <laughs> my hands are still moving <laughs> yeah. and it just like feels like you go into this like Jedi zone. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, it is that saying of like, you know, when you go up to a musician, you're like, you know, you could ask them, you know, where do you get your guitar? Like what guitar is that? Not how much do you practice? Cause that's actually the real question of yeah. like, what determines <laughs> like, you know, what's good or not. I mean, actually, yeah, I remember just while well, watching your performances, like, where it's like you're doing so many things so fast. But, um, oh, that was it. It was, I, well, I listened to, I can't remember the name of the book. It was an audio book, but it talked about practice and how when you look at people's sort of brain activity, that the activity of a novice at a task, whatever it may be, their brain is like lit up like really, really lit up, but uh, the brain of an expert is like inert. It's like they're not having to think about it because they are, you know, it's become part of a different part of their brain. And so they're free to think of other things, as you said. And then then obviously you can bring all of the levels of creativity to bear because you've taken care of the sort of the bare muscle memory and stuff. And I can't imagine what that must be like. I mean, certainly things like Buchler's um they're made to be played the way that you were playing them. And I'm sure Don Buchler would be proud of seeing how you're interacting with those instruments. It's like, that is absolutely what they exist for. It'd be interesting to like pick your brain a bit about the music easel specifically, because it feels like that's like the, not maybe the only, you know, the biggest instrument for your, you know, there's lots of other things that you play, but um, 
yeah, just be really interested in your thoughts about it. You know, what does it mean to you and and how do you approach playing it? Yeah. Um, first of all, that's such a like high honor comment to say about um, just like what you're saying with with Don Bukla. And, um, and I mean, it's interesting. The the easel for me, it was just the one of the first things that I played. So it's the most it's the most like connected to my brain. Like it feels like an extension of my brain. I don't have to think about it when I'm playing it. And, um, and there's still many moments where, where as I'm playing it, like even when I'm playing live, I'll have moments where, where I'm like, Oh, I didn't know that was going to happen, <laughs> which is really exciting. And and I hope that never changes. I mean, I think it, it also has benefits in that it is carry on size. So it's like, it's been really perfect for, for bringing it on an airplane. And there's just a reliability of I've played so many shows with it that I know it's going to work and I know what to do when something happens to it. For the most part, I know like, like it's little quirks that, that I know how to like maneuver around it. And I've brought other things on tour with me before and um and it didn't last like they didn't last and I don't want to like call anything out um mm. but but I'll just say in it, it was in the Euro rack world <laughs> 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 and um and so I returned to the the easel because it was just it was honestly just like re- really reliable I mean I've only played one very briefly and I really don't know a great deal about it I've never owned one I would love to and I know it's the kind of thing like you buy an easel, you really want to learn to play it. I think I love that it never changes. And it sounds like that's obviously the most important aspect, well, one of the most important aspects, because as you well know, I mean, you've got a load of Eurax stuff and it's it's just the problem that you can always change a Eurorack, but you can't change a music easel because it is what it is. So you've got what you've got. That's it. Learn to play it more. Um, and I think that's really, really powerful. And it's something that... I, it constantly bothers me, certainly, you know, and I have lots of Eurac and I do love it, but I find myself, as time goes on, thinking more, less about like, I just want to get another module, more about, I want to put together these modules in a very specific configuration and try and learn them. But I just don't think that any of us can, you know, we're not disciplined, I'm speaking to myself here, I don't think I'm disciplined enough to to commit to something like you would commit to a music easel and perhaps that's just why it's such a good instrument you know it never changes and it and it is what it is um but as you say you keep discovering new things with it and i mean do you have like particular strategies things you love to do that might be you know people might be interested to hear like what do you what do you tend to do with it when you play and and what tends to surprise you you know how do you sort of find novel things in in the same old circuit I mean, I think I'm just like a loyal instrumentalist. Like I think like I was like that with guitar too, where where I was I was always um I guess like in a state of wonderment with like how many sounds it can make and also was frustrated by its limitations. But but I I just feel like music in itself is what makes something novel and like and I feel like it's like a, a, a like an alchemy of 
of like the state of mind that I'm in that day, like what music is coming through it and the instrument. Cause there's definitely like instruments that I don't resonate with. Um, but, but I still believe if I spent enough time with it, I probably would resonate with it. And so it's just mm-hmm. like deciding which thing I want to spend time with. But I, but I do think that like every single instrument has the potential to be like the instrument. Definitely. Do you have like pairings of effects as well? I mean, you mentioned the H9. For you, you know, if you were just playing with the easel and maybe a couple of effects, what would you choose? I don't really have like go-tos because it just depends on like the mood. And and I honestly really like the dry sound of, of the easel. Um, I'm not someone that I really... I don't like reverb that much, so I hardly ever use reverb or compressors. And sometimes I use delay and I do a lot of looping, like probably looping is like the biggest effect that, that I do. And like a lot of EQs, like I feel like there's so much you can do with EQs and like filters. I do a lot of like granular. So much of it like comes back to layering for me and layering and like music like the harmonies the melodies and and just like playing with the synthesizer to make animals to make like environments yeah, yeah. i like there was a video you put up of the uh, two voice like, oh cool sort of like bug swamp <laughs> which is amazing i know that thing can make so many animal sounds <laughs> <laughs> Tom would be proud, I'm sure. That is, um, and is that was that like like looped as well? It wasn't like all just live coming off that one synth, right? What was it? That one was when um, someone let me borrow a two voice. So that was, um, I think that was off of one synth because it had two voices, oh and it was just going like between all the different animal sounds. That was it was yeah. It was, it's like a it's like a swamp. Like, yeah, it's amazing like, the stuff you can get from it. Yeah, it'd be interesting to talk about your studio. I mean, you. And particular again with the album, just to get a sense of like what you put around you, you know, what were your sort of, you know, when you're talking about sort of getting filled up and like getting ready to play, like what, what's just enough to express yourself, not too much, you know, what sort of things do you surround yourself with? Oh, that's a fun question. I like particularly like the part of what's just enough. I feel like I'm really content with like the most minimal thing, like on road trips, I love writing just with my phone and, and like making vocal, like a four track app on my phone and just making vocal Mm -hmm. pads and like singing over it. Like I do, um, a lot of writing that way in the car, which is really fun. So that's like probably just enough is like being able to layer my voice a little bit. And with no effects, I guess. Yeah. Just try. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I really feel like just that and any instrument that someone put in front of me that I knew a little bit about how to play. Like if someone put a tuba in front of me, I would be like, okay, give me like a year <laughs> or more. <laughs> um, like there's definitely limitations in, in instruments. Like I, I don't know how to play string instruments, like besides the guitar and like mandolin. Okay, I don't know how to play like cello and violin and that stuff. Yeah. Um, but but if I had a lot of time to practice it, <laughs> then I would love to learn it. 
Mm. Did that answer? Sorry, I don't know if that went off. Yeah, kind of does. Well, the voice is like, the, <laughs> yeah, and that is, yeah, the voice is just such an insane synthesizer. Yeah, you know, it, it really is. It can sound like lots of different things, and it's also directly connected to our brains, and in a way that is like, otherwise, your hands get in the way of. You have to teach your hands to do what your brain is asking, but your voice, you can just blurt it out. And yeah. It's, um, I yeah, I totally get that. The voice is an amazing synth. <laughs> Definitely. It really is. And I feel like, like I really love um, just writing on a piano. Like I love just having a simple piano. Yeah. Cause it's about the music, i.e. The, the notes, not necessarily the tone. Although pianos do sound beautiful, of course. And then as far as like synthesizers go, like, I feel like I'm just really grateful for the collection that has like come into my life that I have. And so I, I, um, try and just utilize uh, those or like go to residencies. I know I already said that, so sorry for repeating it. <laughs> no, no, but it's, it's true. Yeah. So you can go and try other things that you don't, you don't own. You don't need to worry about buying. <laughs> yeah. Liking, you know, you can just try them. I feel like in general, people who are into synthesizers are, are like all, I mean, I don't, I don't know everyone that's into synthesizers, so I can't say this across the board, but I feel like most people are so excited about synthesizers that like they lend each other stuff. Like they, they're like, Hey, do you want to borrow this? And I'll borrow this. So that, so I do a lot of like borrowing. That's good. If you've got a good like borrow synth borrow network. Yeah. We do crave novelty and that's obviously what keeps the whole industry ticking over is this the promise of some new thing because it's like some kind of you know on one level maybe it's the magic bullet on another level it's just like an opportunity to hear new sounds and things and so it's nice to be able to satisfy that novelty without having to buy anything you know without yeah. sort, of, sort of succumbing to the capitalist kind of machine um, you can satiate novelty by just trading things and then hand it back and you can like go into you can like go into those synth, sh synth shops that we were talking about and like try stuff. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's hard to know what you're going to gravitate to. And I'm sure that you must have found that where there's things that you think you're going to are going to be awesome. They're just not. And then some things that surprise you. And it's I definitely found that that's true of Eurorack. I think a lot of the time where you don't really get the opportunity to try stuff. And I don't know if there's like a good shop near you, but like. You know, there is not really that many shops near me, you know, and I think for a lot of people who'll be listening to this, there are probably not many places. So you kind of have to take a punt on things. And it is a delight to be able to, if you can just try things. I mean, you do have like, obviously mentioning Eurorack specifically, like I've seen, I don't know if these are the systems that you still have, but I like to see that you've got, you'd organized your systems by manufacturer. You hadn't jumbled up and frankincensed your systems you had like a studio electronic system and a make noise system and like you let them be you know what the manufacturer sort of on intended perhaps as an ensemble yeah i don't have that much eurorack stuff the studio electronics was being lent to me that was like one of the things that that i was borrowing i do have a make noise system and then i have like one 4ms module but that's really the extent that i went to with that's quite a sensible extent yeah <laughs> I've always been like one of those people where where I really like to keep track of everything and so honestly like too much of something is overwhelming 
to me. Mm. Like the only place that that isn't true is when I'm actually making music. I feel like I let myself like explode with how many things want to come out. But in the actual physical world, I get really overwhelmed by too many things. I feel like what I'm particularly interested in in life is like how far I can go with something like to see just like what unfolds when you stick with something and like keep practicing it. I suppose everyone's got their own sort of goals ultimately. Um, And I think there are a lot of people who own all that stuff and just, they just enjoy tinkering with it and that's enough for them. But I definitely, personally speaking, at least like you've got to write music. That's like the, it has to have a purpose. Otherwise what's this stuff for? Obviously, there is a meditative aspect, which I'm sure you've experienced too, where you, by using this equipment and and just, you know, the process of exploring electronic gear, it, it kind of ties up your brain in a certain way that you can feel like you've, I mean, I've had that, like when I've felt like I have meditated after I have used a Eurax synth, just stood and patched it. And I don't know, yeah, it's some, there is a calming effect. Yeah, which I'm sure you must have experienced. Definitely, which I I've always loved that that is like the effect, and what's happening in real time is like we're all listening to like <laughs> like, <laughs> like really awful <laughs> sounds for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like inside, it's bliss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, but you also, you know, there's a lot of quote-unquote real things not just your voice but like woodwind particularly on your music and there's obviously there's snippets in this album where there's like a moment where it's just like you know four clarinets i think or like more you know all the same layered up maybe it's clarinet and like i always think of the track stratus um which was and this is a genuinely true story that was my number one played track on spotify one year where oh wow just, i really think it's really true wow yeah I mean, it's, it's an absolute banger anyone listening to this i thoroughly recommend that you listen to stratus because it's just which i think is is it clarinet that's in that tune yeah it's a um it's a quartet a woodwind quartet yeah um thank you yeah, that's not really a question. It's more a statement. I really like that piece of music. I think it's it's wonderful. And it's sort of that, yeah, woodwind. I don't know if you want to just talk a bit about the, just that it obviously captures something in your brain tonally, is it? Or is it just, what what is it about the sound? Well, I go through phases and like, I mean, when I was in college, I studied sound engineering and composition and I wanted to do film scoring and 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 compose for orchestras. And then I got out of, of school and I didn't have access to orchestras. And, um, and that was like at that point when I wanted to give up on music because I was like, I don't know, I'm just playing classical guitar. It's not what I want to do. <laughs> and then, and then synthesizers came into my life. And, um, and ever since then, I've always, um, still wanted to continue to write for orchestras. And so I've broken it into small ensembles because they're more accessible. And then I would just find a player that could play um, like a small array of, of of the instruments that I was composing for. And, and so for years, I just worked with one player and I composed for all of his parts and wrote them out. And then he played 
all of them. And, um, and then on the kid, I did um, more of like a brass ensemble. And then, and then this one, um, and on mosaic, it was actually mosaic was full orchestra. That was like when I started to go more towards full orchestra. And that was at the time of the pandemic, but there was all this hope of performing with a bunch of orchestras. And Mm -hmm. I got to perform once with the BBC orchestra, which was like the dreamiest thing ever. Wow. And then, and then this album, um, I really wanted to play with, with like kind of confusing people on what is a synthesizer and what is an orchestral instrument, but there are definitely woodwinds. And I composed for the same player that played on, on ears. And then there's also a lot of parts where it's a synthesizer, but it sounds like, um, like an orchestral instrument. When you're composing for woodwind players, are you using like sample libraries and stuff or just to try to pre-visualize or do you feel like it might be a, a tricky one to do? It just depends on how much time I have. Like if, like for the BBC orchestra, I like wrote it out in, in finale and, and in Sibelius and um, they both have their issues. So I use both of them and, yeah. <laughs> um, and then like made actual sheet music and, and like did the whole thing. But when I don't yeah. have that much time and if it's someone that I'm really comfortable with, then, then I can send them just like the MIDI parts and then they can just learn it through the MIDI parts. So it just depends on, on like how much time and how professional it needs to be. And like you're obviously you're, you have classical training and it'd be interesting to sort of get your take on the importance of that. When you live in a world of, you know, or you're composing in a world of electronics, you know, to a large extent, in what way do you, does it manifest itself? How do you think you might be different if you didn't have that, have that training? practicing is still like such an innate part of who I am that it wouldn't have even mattered if I didn't have that training. I probably still would have like, or fallen in love with like practicing. I always, I have like an ongoing joke with some of my friends where like, I just always want to be in a montage. That's just like how I want my life to be. <laughs> um, <laughs> like running up and down steps, like, well, with the boot. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and, and I feel like, the, the classical training, like it's, it feels like if it wasn't that, it would be something else probably. Like I just always love to have something that I'm learning and getting better at. And then how, regarding practice, do you have like a, a sort of, I was about to say a practice, you know, but as in like a Oh yeah, practice for, for practice. practice. Do you have a practice <laughs> practice? I do. I am like so dweeby about it because um, the brain gets... Um, I mean, actually, I think that book that you were referencing, um, I've, I've either read that or it like connects to a technique that a lot of people have talked about with practice technique, where it's like in the beginning, when you're first learning something, it's like so many neurons are firing. And so, um, so I love to like approach practice with excitement every single time that I'm going to practice the same thing where I do something different about it or I like zoom in on on something and I connect it to because I also have like a physical practice like a like with my body as well 
And, mm. and I connect that with my musical practice um, where it's like, like, for instance, I have an obsession of handstands. So like, say I'm like, okay, I only want to focus on doing handstands on this one hand today. And I just want to like really zoom in on this thing. Then I also connect that to that day musically where I'm like, I'm just going to focus on like how many things my right hand is doing and like really nailing these, these parts. Um, and I, and so I feel like moving around and like focusing on mastering, mastering with like quotation marks. Cause I don't like really think about mastering as like the goal, but, um, mm. but, but like focusing on, on like trying to get progress in one area and then switching the next day. So the brain is like always having a new experience. It's also uh, what you're describing is, I think I've heard referred to as deliberate practice. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of the difference between just like aimlessly doing something and just hoping for the best and being like, no, I am actually going to focus on this thing that I need to get better at this one aspect. And and that sort of laser guided. I've heard also that it's important to like reflect to like listen back to things so that you can kind of, you know, judge where you've gone right and wrong. Obviously, it's helpful to have mentors to do that. And I guess you've had to be self-taught for, a, well, obviously all the music that you make. But do you know what I mean? Do you do you have a way around that, or are you just you know what you're good at and what you're not good at and what you need to work on? I definitely do a lot of reflection. I tend to focus on the areas that I feel the most vulnerable because I I have found that I get the most amount of progress when I when I zoom in on the area I don't want to zoom in on. So I tend to to like spend the most time in those areas. Are any of your systems kind of playing themselves to any degree or are you sort of have you programmed specifically or do you do you try to like leave as much as possible to be played and therefore use like loopers and other ways of like going right, well, I'll play everything one by one. You know, do you do you choose to relinquish control in, in any way? I try and do as much playing as possible and do like um the looping route and and like we'll set up environments that I can play as much as possible. So because it's it's like it just depends on the song and depends on what I'm doing. It always is like about what is going to be the, the like best experience that I can create for myself. And also I care about people who are going to be listening to it and want them to have a good experience. But for the most part, like in order for me to get into a flow state, there's a certain amount of like crossing that I have to do with my hands I've just learned that for myself. And so I set up my equipment in ways where my hands have to maneuver back and forth. Um, and then it like puts me into a trance. <laughs> Literally, you mean like the process of moving your hands back and forth? It's just like, it helps you focus. Yeah, it puts me into a flow state to have my right hand have to do the bass motion sometimes and my left hand play the melody instead of just like sticking with like, my left hand's always going to do the bass. My right hand's always going to do the melody. Yeah, it's quite sneaky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, a, I guess we're all just like learning how we work. Yeah. I mean, but it takes a conscious, like, you know, I want to work on something. Therefore, you've set it up to make your 
make you do it differently. Like on the app 2600, you does that trick of like inverting, using the inverter to invert the keyboard so that when you play the keyboard, all the notes are left to right, back to front. Oh, yeah. I love that stuff. Oh, my gosh. I love changing the fundamental on the easel where like when I look at the keyboard, what is C is no longer C. And I'm like, oh, yes. Now I'm in like such a nebulous, weird world. (laughs) (laughs) You can play the same old shapes and get different things out, right? I mean, I'm sure you can scale the keyboard in odd ways on that, I guess. Yeah. You got to stick a little screwdriver in it. But yeah. (laughs) I do. Yeah. Do you have like the, uh, yeah, it's like the Bemi one, like the more modern easels. You don't have like a 70s easel. No, I wouldn't bring that out of the house if I had a 70s easel. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah, indeed. I I don't know what the difference is. I've heard that the Bemi ones are quirky, put it like that way. Well, it depends on which which era of the Bemi ones. But honestly, all of Buchla's instruments, um, like pre-Bemi, they were all, you know, similar to violins. Each one was its own instrument. Each one had its own characteristic. And um, and the Bemi ones, they there are different eras. And like more recently, there, there are um, engineers that were working with Don Buchla that are now working at, at BEMI. And, um, and so there's a lot of like returning to like the core components and like engineering of it. I've gone through like a few different versions of the BEMI ones and um, they've all had different things that I like about them. But the most recent one, or actually I, I can't say the most recent one cause I've had this one for the last like four years. But I really like it a lot. I would like one. Sell off some Euro and like just get one. <laughs> I don't know. I would have to learn to play it in its fullest extent. Um, but I love the idea of not being able to tinker with it in the sense of like change it. Or, you know, I don't think I would bother with the cards either. I think I agree that it's like, it's an instrument and it's just about making the beautiful sounds that it makes and you know, finding a good melody within that, which is... Um, at the end of the day, that's what makes us feel the emotions, you know. Although, do you do you have that where you, you know, you're as, as much, it's much about the tonality or is it, because I've certainly, I've spoken to some musicians where they're like, but it's about the tone, the texture more than the melody. It sounds like you're the opposite. I think it's all of it. I think it's like, I don't let anyone mix my music because I'm so precious about every frequency where I'm like, I'm like, no, that's part of it. Don't take that out. (laughs) And even mastering, I'm really, really particular because I just feel like it's, it's all a part of the composition, like every frequency. And um, yeah, I think it's all important. Yeah. What is your secret? Because that's hard. I mean, I, I really struggle with that. Like mixing music, I find very difficult. I don't think I trust my ears. Well, I, I definitely have problems in, with my hearing as well, so it's definitely not helping. But, like, you know, it'd be interesting to hear your take, like, how how you remain objective doing things like that, because there's... I imagine it would be so hard to stay objective. Do you have any secrets? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mean, the main thing that I do for mixing is, like... Well, I do a little bit of it as I'm going, but the main thing that I do is, like, I go into my like director part of my brain where I'm like, 
okay, what's the story that I'm going to tell? And like, who is, I mean, this is, I guess, how I would approach orchestration as well, where it's like, okay, who's the leader at this part? Like, who's talking? And like, who who's like the backup story, like the background characters. And I, and I organize everything in that way and make sure that like, like, okay, that person's done talking. Now this one is <laughs> like, that's kind of the main way that I approach mixing. And I don't, I don't personally do like, um, like a ton of, of like compressors, EQs and all that stuff. I, I love the overtone series and I have always like firmly believed in like mixing with the overtone series. And so I do like additive mixing, um, when I approach mixing. So how do you mean? It's similar to orchestration again, where it's like, it's more blending. Like I'm thinking about the overall sound of like, I bring all of the frequencies up to the same level to hear like, okay, what's my like wash of all frequencies kind of the way, like when an orchestra tunes and then, and then from there, I'm like sculpting like the story where it's less about taking things out and like trying to make room. I, it's like more of a maximalist approach Mm. than like, probably if I only had like four parts, then, then like I would maybe want to treat those parts through hardware and like make them sound unbelievable. But because I always have like so many parts happening, then, then I like to like approach it through like the orchestration technique. How many parts would you normally have like at any kind of one time on average, of course? I don't know. I don't really count it. Like, especially when I'm looping, I'm just kind of like flowing. So I don't really count it. But if it's, I mean, if it's on a piece where I mean, well, okay, before I'm even like getting into the playing, um, usually to make one sound, um, I'll like create matrix systems where I'm like um, blending things that are like sometimes a hundred tracks. And then that becomes one instrument where I'm like, okay, that's one sound. And so it just depends on like what I'm doing in the approach. So do you mean that you will literally like, collapse something and then dump it into a sampler and play it or or just treat it like it's one thing do you know what I mean how how does that work in practice again it depends on what I'm doing (laughs) but but sometimes sometimes I'll do that where where like I'll think of it like like an instrument maker and again it, it like all stems from the overtone series for me and I'll stack things up and then I'll put that into um like a sampler and then like use a controller and make an instrument out of it. Yeah, that's nice. Oh, by the way, also with loopers, I was curious what your, you know, do you have a favorite looper or is there a sort of functionality that is important to you that, that you need? Do you know what I mean? Or do you use a particular looper? Yeah, I just use good old basic Ableton. <laughs> Ableton <laughs> because, looper, yeah. Because yeah, especially with playing live, like, um, I just try and keep it as like minimal as possible with what I'm actually using in Ableton so that, um, so that I don't have to ever worry about Ableton crashing. Yeah. Like as in by using its default looper, it's like the least amount of DSP that it will. Yeah. And then I don't really need too many advanced things on it. Just like basics. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I only relatively recently got a looper. Like I got the 
the Boss RC505, and it's, yeah, it's the flow state that it can create when you have just enough that's like just enough to have fun with, um, but not too much that you um, tie yourself in knots. It's re- it is a wonderful way of making music. It's something that I need to explore more. I suppose then there's really just one more question, which was, uh, what, what is the future of music technology? Ooh. Which dropped in like that is just like, sounds really like, yeah. like I'm asking a lot. But I mean, you obviously have got a, like a very pragmatic approach to technology in that you're clearly the equipment is serving you and you're not serving the equipment, I think. Oh, I hope it's both. Yeah. <laughs> because also, you know, things like, you're using technology to expand your voice and go beyond what your, you know, just the voice alone can be. And so it'd be really interesting to hear what what is the future of it? What, where do you think that like music technology and music, you know, both software and hardware should go? Well, my brain doesn't take me to where where it should go, but um, but I have been thinking about this recently, at least for myself and. And something that keeps coming up for me is like, I keep getting drawn back to the original place of music, of like where it all stemmed from. And it brings me back to like, just wanting to be a really good musician, like a really good fluid player. And so it's kind of like the opposite of delegating things to technology. And and I think like technology is so incredible in all of the things that it's offered us. And, and I feel like at least in my like hopeful version of the future, it's, I hope that it goes into a place where it's really balanced of both like what we delegate to technology and what we're capable of ourselves. And that there's like still always a, a like revealing of like us learning what we're capable of and the technology assisting that. I don't know if that answered it. I think that totally answered it. (laughs) Whatever the future of music technology, it has to be in service of our expression. Music technology must help humans better express our inner voices or feelings, you know. It should serve us and us not serve it. No point do I feel like, you know, the technology is enslaving her as such, you know. It's like she may be surrounded by synths, but she, by God, is telling them what to do every, you know, millisecond of the time. And so, so yeah, like... I get that sense that's like her goal, like being consumed with an urge to express something that's wordless, deep and personal and ineffable, like the true meaning, un- inexpressible, like a thing that you just can't put your you know, finger on, but it's something that she's trying to express. And I'm really impressed by her practice of practice. <laughs> we can all learn from that. Everyone practices, of course we do, like, but... Do you practice as much as she does? Right, you know? And what was her words? That I love the unfolding of what happens when you practice the same thing every day for a year. It's a gift that keeps giving. 
because it goes to muscle memory and then it feels like magic. She can then think of other things because her hands are just going and she wants her hands to cross over because it entrances her as she plays. Like Really interesting insight, like amazing. Um, and yeah, what's the other thing? It was, oh, well, yeah, imagination is infinite combinations of things. Imagination is mashups. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, like, I know that, right? Of course, but... I think it's important to just think of that. If you ever feel uninspired, just mash some things up, by God. And there's always new combinations. You know, I don't know whether there are, you know, new things under the sun, but definitely Caitlin Aurelia Spith is trying to discover them. So I thoroughly recommend that you put Let's Turn It Into Sound into your ears and then put Ears into your ears and all her other albums because they are ace. Um, and Caitlin is touring now. She is touring in the US, I believe, but she just announced tours in the UK and the EU. Denmark, Norway, the UK, including Leeds. Yes, mate. Leeds, where I am based. London, I've heard of it. Colchester, Manchester, Norwich, Brighton, Belgium, France, Netherlands, Germany. The last four are not based in the UK, sadly, but... Um, yes, uh, if you are in any of those places, ensure that you get your hiney to the show and see Caitlin Aurelia Smith play because you will witness someone who has been practicing for literally years, like has made a serious, serious effort for you. Um, and you should bear witness to it and let it expand your understanding of what it is possible to play live in the electronic music sphere because I think she's exemplary. Go see her play, stream by the album. Do it. So, yeah. Thank you, Caitlin Aurelia-Smith, for generously giving your time and being ace. Thank you for listening. And I'm sorry it took so long. <laughs> Thank you for being so patient. More bleeps to come next up. Got a chat with the excellent Rival Consoles. Yes, a very interesting chat with Rival Consoles. So subscribe, by golly, if you don't already. And if you do want to support the podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash Mylar Melodies. Consider hopping aboard. Uh, there's a whole community on Discord, lots of other wonderful people. Or just tell your friends. That actually is an incredibly valuable thing, and you could do it for free. Please share this podcast if you enjoyed it. That is how we can help it grow. So, yeah, hope you enjoyed Sorry it took so long, but we're back on it now. Thanks very much. Be well, and we'll chat soon. <laughs>